31 years ago, I met Alan in Africa, as you know, he was a missionary's kid, and you know, I was a young girl. And I'm not saying that this is right, but we went into sin. And you put a hot-blooded American together and a hot-blooded white African together, and you make beautiful babies. <laughs> One of them's right here right now, Zane. Stand up, Zane. It's my son, Zane. And this is his wife, Jamie. Stand up, Jamie. This is Jamie's wife. Beautiful, beautiful. So the part of my testimony that I want to give glory to God for is when we found out that I was going to have a baby and we were not married, my father wanted me to have an abortion. And we lived in Africa at the time and he had the ways and the means to fly me to England the same day that he found out. He said, you have an abortion and Monday you'll be back at work and no one will ever know that you were pregnant. And I want to speak to the women in the house who might have had an abortion and I don't want this to bring condemnation to you because your baby is alive in heaven today and you will get to see that baby again. But I want to declare that we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. It all came home to me this week. We were at a celebration for Summer Joy who is going to become a doctor this week. And we were at a celebration where some of her friends that she works with at Baylor Medical were, were honoring her. And she walked in and they went, Woo-hoo, here comes Dr. Samalata. She'll be a doctor this week. And guess what area she's specializing in? Midwifery. Birthing babies into the world. 31 years later, the Lord has been faithful to love us enough to allow us to overcome our sin nature and to see the fruit of being faithful to what God said to do. Get married and raise this baby and have more babies and then have a whole bunch of babies. And I'm exalting the Lord today as a mother for his faithfulness. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. He makes all things work together for good, does he not? Unless someone should be tempted, oh, they made it, so I think I'll live in sin. No, there's, there's, there are results to sin. There's consequences. And um, part of the reason my wife and I went through a year and a half of marriage counseling was to build the foundation that never got built when we got married because it was never just us. And Zane got married suddenly. It was just us. And it's like, well, what, what's our future? And so we needed some help. And it was very painful. So thank God he is merciful. Yeah. Mercy endures forever. Amen. Well, we are in for a very special treat today. Um, Winnie Durning, I almost said Dr. Winnie Durning, uh, is coming to bring the word of the Lord. And uh, one of her children, her daughter, is here with us, with her son-in-law. We're so grateful to have you. Amen. Thank you. And we love her husband, Ed, dearly. So Winnie, come right on and bring us the word. Okay. Can everybody hear? Yes. No, this is going to be fine up here. Yeah, I'm okay. I was a little nervous 
until the Lord came during that service. Wasn't that wonderful? What a great thing on Mother's Day. All right, as I was seeking the Lord about today, he really impressed upon me to share a message of hope for mothers. I said, okay, Lord, um, give me a handle. And so he brought me to Romans 5, verses 4, where it says, no, 3 and 4. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. So I said, thank you, Lord. That's a good handle. But did you catch some of that? Um, the end product has some previous things that we have to go through, <laughs> okay, like tribulation and perseverance. And you know what that character actually means? I looked it up. It's, it has to do with being proven. So if, it, if you look at perseverance, is your proving ground. When you come out with proof, then hope counts. Okay. Now once, uh, we once... Anybody here remember Irma Bomback, the columnist, the funny lady? The thing about Irma Bomback is she would always say that stuff that we were just thinking. So I remember this one particular thing a woman wrote that she, she had three kids. She was really having trouble with the 14-year-old girl. Things were just beyond her abilities. The house was a mess. She just didn't have time for anything. The animals were chewing the furniture. Uh, kids were breaking toys. Finances were just barely, barely enough. The husband really didn't come home until he absolutely had to. And so that really wasn't helping the marriage. And she just, you know, if anything happened like the car breaking, it would just be a total disaster, and she just didn't know what to do. Not only that, she was always exhausted, <laughs> having headaches, you know what Irma said? Don't worry, dear. It'll pass. You're just in the horrible years. <laughs> so I'm going to share a few of my horrible years today because God does bring hope. So I've had the very great blessing of being born into a really strong and wonderful family. Um, I had a very gentle and loving mom. Uh, she lived till 97. I'm wearing something she gave me today that her mother gave her. Uh, it's very special. My daddy was a doctor, a psychiatrist, and he was a very protective and wonderful dad. I particularly got on with him. We just sort of had uh, the same wavelength. He was a man of great wisdom, and I just, I just thought he was wonderful. I have one sister who's 21 months younger than I am. And, and in the time that we were born in, we just kind of, at least Patty and I did, we just expected we'd grow up, we'd go to school, we'd go to college, we'd get married, and we'd be ladies the rest of our lives. Well, it doesn't always work that way. Nevertheless, uh, I was quite an achiever in school, loved college, majored in English and history, and did all that kind of related stuff. And then I got married, had two children. You see my daughter. But 10 years later, I really had my first major failure, and I was divorced. So here I am, 
uh, instead of being a lady, here I am, a single mom with two little kids, no plans for a career. Uh, my ex was not very faithful in helping. And I just really hadn't planned for it to go this way at all. So after a couple of years, I was really fortunate to get a job at Tulane Medical Center, public relations, and it was just perfect for me. I was the editor there. Uh, they had lots of publications. They did news. And after four, five, six years, I really prospered there, and I became director. And it was truly terrific. And we got to publicize all the cutting-edge medicine and stuff. And uh, we, we had wonderful opportunities. We had international press conferences. One time we had Dr. Christian Bernard there, that first one to do a heart transplant. Another time we had a Nobel Prize winner. So it was extremely stimulating. Now, that wasn't every day, thankfully, but uh, it was very challenging and I was really stretched. The downside was that universities pay very modestly. So we were always on the edge financially. Um, I never really knew if something happened, um, would we pay the rent? I just, I just don't, it, it's just like a cloud back there. So you just keep going, hoping nothing really bad will happen. But um, it was a great time for me, and, and it really formed a lot of who I am and my work uh, that I did there. Uh, I learned a lot, being a daughter of a psychiatrist, about inner life. And I was really determined that my kids would not be too scarred by this. Um, they had suffered a lot through the divorce, and they had a lot of problems as a result, especially in school. But I didn't have any clue at that time how anyone could have trouble in school. Because <laughs> all I ever did was study and make good marks. That was how I ran. So... Those were difficult times, okay? And I'm not going to go into this testimony and this testing because the one I'm going to share today is really a doozy, so buckle up. Um, and eventually, we passed through that time, and I married Ed in 1982. He moved to San Diego. Nevertheless, before that, uh, I'd really gotten really burned out. I didn't realize it, and that's when I met the Lord. And um, so here I am moving to San Diego, a brand-new Christian, all in love with Jesus. Everything's wonderful, and um, life's going to be fine. And life was fine. I have to honestly thank God for that. Uh, we had three wonderful years of just enjoying each other in San Diego, um, but I had the opportunity to really do what was in my heart, which was to dig into the Word and to get to Bible school. And I eventually, after three years, got a diploma in Bible and Doctrine. Then Thanksgiving 1985 came. Uh, there were about 14 of us present. You all remember. <laughs> and at dessert, my stepdaughter, Michael Lynn, got up. And she wanted to share with everyone that she had finally found a sperm donor and that she was going to be having a baby. Now, Ed's a lot, Ed's a lot like Irma Bombach. He says stuff we only think. <laughs> and he turned to Michael and he said, we don't have bastards in this family. When are you getting married? For me, I'm not so nice. I would really rather strangle her. 
So I just went to the kitchen. But I had the strangest experience because I, it's like God showed me, and I didn't understand this, that this was going to be my child. I wasn't all that thrilled about God's plan. <laughs> I really wasn't. Anyway, after a few days, Michael returned, and she said that she and her roommate, uh, who was not the father, Terry, would be getting married, and they did because Terry wanted a family. And we just said, oh, my God, thank God we're not from this generation. <laughs> anyway, and I have, to give, I have to give credit where it's due. Terry is still my son-in-law. He's been faithful. He still lives in California. God bless him. He earned his dues. So what about Michael? Okay, this, this stepdaughter of mine. Mike had a happy childhood. Ed was a career Marine, and so she benefited from those opportunities. Um, she's a lot like Ed. If she had had the opportunity to be a Marine, she'd have been a great success. She's very gifted physically. She had the knack of landing on her feet like a cat, you know, nine lives, daring. Uh, she did rodeo work, you know, barrel racing, all that stuff kids do, competitive swimming, surfing, scuba in Baja, and in Hawaii. She jogged, she biked, she hiked, she rock climbed, she camped, you name it. can always picture Mike in her little short shorts and T-shirt and tennies, tangled hair, great big smile from ear to ear. So she's really a very engaging woman. She was very independent, daring, um, fun-loving, very, very free spirit, California, 80s, you know, 70s, tender-hearted, very, very unselfish. And she, she had so much potential. But at the same time, we finally learned this later, as I will share, from about the age 11, she was doing drugs. And now she's 33, and she's hopelessly hooked on speed and alcohol, alienated from family, her brother, there's a brother, and no wonder she wanted someone to love. So the woman we knew, though, at that point was just seemed chronically irresponsible. We never knew what would be happening or if the police would call us or whatever. It was, it was up and down. Fortunately, we didn't know anything. We just thought she was wild. Anyway... God actually at that time began to launch me on the course that would teach me about trusting God, about learning intercession and fasting and believing for the impossible and hope. Okay, ultimately he brought me into the ministry I have through this. And so the proving ground can be very fruitful. You know, we sow into the ground and we expect little seedlings. We sow into heaven Stuff is going to grow there, too. It will come back. Well, anyway, Michael managed to stay clean during the pregnancy because she really wanted this baby. And, and he was born physically fine. She just adored him, and he truly was precious. We all bonded. They called him Ryan. And Ryan just called me before services, by the way. Um, Mike seemed content with her baby, but in about six months she drifted back. And I began to find suspicious-looking strangers and drug dealers at her house. And I then really began to learn to pray about deliverance. Because like so many drug people, you know, they tell you what you want to hear. They know you really well. They know what buttons to push. And she knew we wanted her to serve the Lord. So she would tell us all about 
Bible and stuff. I, I just really didn't understand. I truly didn't. But we wanted her to be well and happy and be a good mom. So anyway, um, but it didn't improve. The more we prayed, the worse it got. We go to pick him up sometimes, and nobody was there, or else there were a whole bunch of adults asleep laying around the house. Um, and then you know there was abuse incidences. Should be all bruised and everything. Finally, Terry, who worked for the FAA, and he would be assigned at different air air ports for maybe six months or so at a time. He, was, he would rewire air-controlled towers and things. He wasn't around, so um, there wasn't much stabilizing. Uh, we finally did an intervention when, she was, uh, when Ryan was about two years old. And so she went to rehab for two months, and Ryan came to our house. And it, it was very, very hard because I remember he would cry and cry and cry and cry and cry and cry from separation anxiety. And I just prayed 24 hours a day. I was really in over my head this time. During rehab, we were taught an awful lot about drugs and the science of how they work in the brain and of how it's a downhill progression that the first one is great, the second one is kind of great, the third one is sort of great, and it goes on downhill from there. So after 20 years of addiction, she was very deteriorated in her brain, literally. Um, but the, the, the counselors there didn't really encourage us. They felt that she was just in chronic denial. So she came home, and, and things weren't too bad. I was at her house one day, grandmothering, and uh, the bell rang, and it was two narcotics agents looking for Mike. So we all freaked out. And, uh, but basically what they wanted to do was give her immunity in exchange for testifying against a cartel in Los Angeles. The only problem was there was a contract out on her. So um, they recommended that she go into hiding. They'd bring, bring a place for her. You know, you read about that and see that all on TV. And so she did. She moved to San Marcos, which was really not very far from where we lived at the time. San Diego County is square, and we lived in the northwest part. Okay? But the terror of this totally tipped her back worse than ever. So I'd back again, I'd go pick up Ryan, and he'd be wandering about the house. She'd be gone, or I'd take him, and sometimes three weeks would pass and before we'd see her again. So we were really, really concerned. And concerned for this child, uh, we, we're used to a very stable home. And um, counselors will say that this kind of neglect is not just physical neglect, it's emotional neglect. It's very, very damaging. And so we, we could just see these dreadful seeds being sown and saying, God, what's going to happen to this child? Please intervene, God, for Ryan. Anyway, God did intervene in one way. Terry threw in the towel and filed for divorce. This was strange. He just couldn't help. There was lost cars, lost credit cards, bouncing checks, turned off utilities, all kinds of possibility of eviction and bankruptcy, strange men lurking in the garage. Anyway, but the way it worked out, I don't know if there's any lawyers here, but Ed and I were attached to the case, and it was a three-way custody arrangement, both parents agreeing that we could have primary custody. So at 
52 years old. I'm a mommy again of a five-year-old little boy. At least we knew that we could provide a stable place, and I was real faithful at church. We could start him in with Jesus in a little more active way. I had always taken him to Sunday school, but um, we felt like at least there was some hope. But Michaelin insisted, she, she is a very aggressive sort of a person. She insisted on her visitation for the right, visitations regularly, and I would drive him out to San Marcos. And it, it went on kind of rocky for a couple of years. Sometimes we couldn't find her, though, or if we did, she'd be sleeping somewhere else. So she was, she was really no longer employable. She lost her house through foreclosure, then her storage unit and everything that was in it. And then, you know, it's a typical pattern. You progress to moving in with friends for a few days. And then when they can't stand you, you have to move into some other friend. And when you run out of friends, then it's some fella here and there. And then pretty soon you begin to get abused. And that's what we had to watch in Lil' Ryan, too. Finally, I just, I just told her, you know, I just can't bring him out here and let him see you like this. And she was really worn out. She said, okay. But by fifth grade, this child was totally shut down emotionally. He was barely performing in school, and he had really regressed a lot of early childhood behaviors. So because fifth grade is what, 11, something like that. Um, and it just seemed like our prayers weren't doing any good. But we knew that God keeps his word. Ryan repeated fifth grade, but he was failing everything by mid-year. That was 1996, okay? So we took him out of school, and I did homeschooling. And he was so shut down, even that didn't help. And I remember once telling Ed, you know, it's like trying to feed someone with no mouth. Uh, speaking of trying to teach, um, it was just... It was just a nightmare, I'll tell you. And you can see with a person like me, what's wrong? Why don't you want to learn? Here we were going around the circle again, but worse. So we just grieved and grieved about it, okay? And God would revive me and um, would regain hope and Ryan would wobble on, I guess. Nevertheless, there were some really neat things that were happening then. You know, it's not just totally one way. You live a life. And uh, we were faithful in church. Uh, Woman's Aglow saved my life, <laughs> truly. I mean, it kept me above the water. And I was very involved there. Uh, I served in all the offices. I served on the area board there in San Diego. I had the privilege of serving in the Sunday school for five years for superintendent. And just, you know, God was very gracious, and he still uses us in our, if we stick to our giftings uh, in the areas, even when as a trial. So we did some really neat things. Uh, Ed's very athletic and fit and bill and I'm spastic. And so <laughs> we had to figure out what can we do together. <laughs> Well, we came up with camping, and we spent, uh, it's the fondest memories we have, or wonderful camping trips down in Baja, California. And we would take Ryan down there, and other family members would join, and there was fishing and camping and shells and whale watching. And we actually went out in a little boat and we'd buy the whales and everything, cliff paintings, exploring. 
So it was wonderful. And then when Ryan was six, he and Noah, Noah's here, received Jesus at a child's crusade at church. Later, when he was nine, he received the Holy Spirit. We would come to Texas because we had this family was still here. We had wonderful times in all of that. We got to go to other places. And when he was 12, remember, we're praying, okay, but we're just not seeing much. But when he was 12, he had the first of two incredibly powerful visions. Uh, where we would, we would pray and say, where is God moving? Where is God moving? And I'd take Ryan and off we'd go, you know. And um, this particular time, I remember in Carlsbad, he was out for 40 minutes. And second time, a similar thing, about two or three years later. And, and something inside happened and to kept, keep him going. So God was working. And this is the time I got my first handle the lord quickened to me he who has started a good work will complete it and the same spirit that raised jesus christ from the dead dwells in ryan and i call those handles okay but things got worse and then then i felt the lord um telling me to go on a 20-day fast for michael lamb but i really went kicking and screaming into that because I thought, well, God, you all fast, you'll fix her, and then Ryan will take off. Because now I've been mothering, mothering this boy five or six years. I considered him mine. So, and, and ladies, uh, if you're involved in any of this, uh, it's just an ambivalent time. So if I'm stepping on toes, um, this is my story. That's all I can say. Um, but I was really more afraid not to be obedient. I had come to know the Lord well enough that disobedience is worse than anything else. So, so but every day I had this battle with God. Okay, here I am. <laughs> anyway, uh, I remember telling one of my, my friends that, and uh, thank God, he's so gracious. He said, Winnie. Just tell the Lord you'll gladly return Ryan to his mother when he puts her in condition that she should be for him. And I thought, that's okay, that's okay. Well, you know what? Two weeks after I was done with my fast, a friend of hers called from Spokane, Washington, and inquiring. Nice, nice family. And uh, so I told them that she was living in a dugout under a hill in a tree over in Escondido, and that had had all these health problems, and it was pitiful. And he said, you know what, get her to come up here, and we'll see if we can get her in the system here, and maybe maybe she gets away from it a little bit, she can have, have a chance. So I went out and talked with her and brought her back, cleaned her up, took her to the beauty shop, got her deloused. Ed got a ticket, we put $20 in her pocket, and she went to Spokane. Uh, and her friends there got her registered. And, and things actually got better as she was up there. She went through another rehab and tended her meetings. And a year passed, and we felt we could send Ryan up to see her. And that was Easter. It was Easter 99, okay? So it was hopeful. Then, on July 4th, 1999, we got a phone call. And it was the police. And they had found Michaelin's body in a vacant lot in Spokane. And she had been murdered, shot through the head by a serial killer up there. 
I have to tell you, if you've never lived through that, it's totally numbing. You just stop. You, you know, you just, you can't process. You can't process. So we went through all the stuff. There was a lot of publicity on this. And we went through all of that. But we began to have some peace because at least that was over. And, um, but I believe um, one of you guys said it today. There's consequences to stuff. And Ryan had endured wave after wave after wave of trauma. And, um, you know, he was behaving in sort of like a post-traumatic thing. It was just trauma after trauma. It was building. And he was as numbed out or more than we were. But about six months later, God brought friends into our lives who had been through something similar. That was Evan and Diane Israel, son of, son of the Lord, who was a converted Messianic Jew. And um, they encouraged us to take him back to counseling and to invest in some academic um, help with him some uh, at a learning center. So we did. And um, you know what? Well, there was funds given us by the state of Washington. A vic they had a victim's program. So we had enough money to cover all of this. Isn't God good? And, um, but after about two months, we began to see light in his eyes again. And, oh, God, that was just precious because we, we recognized it. But we knew it was going to be a long haul. They told us that he was behind two academic years. And we were going to have to go three times a week for nearly two years. But it pulled him through. So, and now he's in, in the onset of adolescence. That's fun. Been around a 14-year-old, 13-year-old boy. So here's this, you know, we have several things going on. About then, the Lord led me to the book of Ezra, chapter 3. Now, I didn't pay any attention. I said, come on, God, I need something really heavier than that. Uh, but the next morning, um, same thing. So, I remember at that time, I, you know, I had been so frustrated, I would just crawl up under the bed and cry. We have a four-poster bed. There's room enough for me to get under yeah, <laughs> very humbling. So as I read Ezra 3, it's the account of the beginning of the rebuilding of the foundations of the temple that had been destroyed in Jerusalem. Hmm, that's another handle, isn't it? A year later, the Lord brought material to me that showed the sequence of the rebuilding after the Babylonian captivity. And this is what he does with souls. And so now my third major handle, and I really begin to think, God is working. I just don't see it. We had seen a little bit he was improving. Once the Lord revealed to me that Ryan's rehabilitation would actually had started way back when I was crying under the bed. And he showed me that those kind of cries were like jackhammers breaking up old cursed cement foundations. Number two, consistent. And I have to say, I thank God for the grace to be consistent every day. Whether I was mad at God or not, I said, here I am again. <laughs> or, you know, something would happen and I would just praise him. But I, I really developed faithfulness. 
And he showed me that, because he'd given me this mental picture that that's just like sweating muscles, you know, how summertime in Texas, you're working outside and it's hard work and you're sweating and pouring off. And I saw that in during prayers, it actually started the rebuilding of his soul. So what, we were actually pulling stuff out and putting stuff in. At least God was. Uh, obedient prayers. Now, we talked about obedience a minute ago. Lit, lit the fire inside of him. And that's when those, those uh, visions begin to, to do their work. And finally, just continued prayer would bring in the people and the houses. And those are the things that uh, make our life worthwhile, our giftings and callings and the, and the things that are special. So anyway, I knew I was on to something. And Ryan began high school. And we really, for the first time, and I can't tell you how long, we saw some effort on his part. And he passed most of his classes that year. And again, some people came into his life through his learning process that uh, were just remarkable mentors for him, things that Ed and I could not do. And um, he discovered passions that he didn't know that he had. He loved, he was very musical, and he loved drama. And so after that freshman year, he only had math in summer school. And he only began to grunt about half the time in her conversation. You know how boys are. So... In uh, that summer, the Lord gave me a fourth spiritual handle. Uh, in Samuel, First Samuel 30, it's the story about David at Ziklag. And these people had come and taken all his family and possessions while he was off fighting. And uh, when he got back, there was nothing but desolation, and they were gone. And the Lord said, pursue, which is what he did. And, uh, and Ed had told me years before, because I always used to ask him strategy, you, you save the reserve for when you're going to pursue, when you've when you got the upper hand, then send them in and you'll wipe them out. So <laughs> anyway, it told me that, okay, don't, don't slack up, press in, just keep on going. So we made up a prayer called our Pursuing Amalek Prayer. And we declared this over Ryan. <laughs> that we were going to plan it and pray and press through till we saw God's plan manifest. Okay, he, did, he, he got better and better and better. And uh, when he was 18, he was in El Camino High School in Oceanside. He had regular work at the grocery store, and he was doing okay in school. He's not a geek or an intellectual. He's a regular kid. Uh, but he also inherited that physically gifted gene and so he could do all kinds of things um, that you, you just wouldn't imagine some of the crazy things that they did but he's a clever compassionate boy and um, always drew others to himself he always had this little pack of little ones behind him so uh, we knew he loved the Lord and when he finally graduated in June 2005, we, we really began to cry. <laughs> we really began to cry. That was six months after his mother was killed. So he got himself qualified as a lifeguard that summer. And he just waited in time because he had planned to go into the military and make his life a military career also where he is today. 
So, in fact, he's going to become a sergeant in June if all goes well. So I have to tell you, before he, before he went in, we did another thing. We had made covenant with God when he came. God, this is beyond us. We, we just don't know. We want to end this curse. We want to see him whole and well, uh, productive in whatever way or place he's intended to be uh, with your help. But then we released him back. We prayed a prayer of release and blessing over him just before they hauled him away. So my story is tribulation works perfectly.